We're going to be looking today in the book of Jude. We've been in First uh, John, Second John, Third John, and now in the next book, uh, the book of Jude, in uh, one chapter. Uh, but it's uh, speaking about uh, really times. He's speaking about his times, but also in a lot of ways speaking about our times. Jude, and, and we're going to start at verse 21 and through 25. And would you please stand as read from God's word. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Lord, thank you for for this book of Job and this promise that you are able to keep us from falling. Lord, pray you'd encourage us through these words now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We're uh, getting ready, and you've maybe seen in the hallway there, I've got the rails up. Uh, we appreciate folks who've been working on getting confirmation pictures up there. And those will be coming up uh, there, and we'll be having dedication of that on April 23rd about the whole entryway and everything. And one thing, as we look at the pictures, I think one thing that we'll be especially maybe pleased about is we'll look and we'll look at ones who kept on trusting the Lord. And some of those we'll, we'll see, and some of those who've been uh, maybe a couple of years ago or so, uh, back when they were, but they, with many years, they've kept on walking with him. And that is something that's a great joy. We'll also probably look and see some, and we'll be having to admit, sadly, they didn't keep on. It's crucial to keep on. A race is not won by the person who started out fast, but the race is won by those who keep on and keep on running the race and keep on until the end. And Jude is this call to keep on, to keep on believing, Keep on trusting, keep on walking with the Lord, and keep in God's love. He isn't telling them, he's not telling us to keep in the traditions. He doesn't say to keep following certain customs. He doesn't say keep just doing the way we've always done it. He's not saying that, but what he's saying most of all is to keep in God's love. God's love is what we keep dwelling on. Jude here is writing to ones who are facing some hard things. In verse 3 of this book, he talks about how there were godless men among them, ones who had slipped in among them. They were trying to deceive people. They were trying to get people to leave the truth. He talks about how there was all kinds of immorality going on. There was sexual immorality. There was perversion going on. 
In verse 16 of Jude, he says, These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves. It's easy to get that way. It's easy to get where you just kind of follow whatever your desires are, and that's, in a way, a very popular philosophy in our age. Just follow your desires. Whatever feels good, do it. It's also easy to be grumblers and fault finders. There's a lot to grumble about. There's a lot of fault you can find. And it's easy where our focus becomes all the fault around us. It's easy where our thought life becomes all about all the bad things going on in the world, all the evil things that there are, and, and that just dominates our lives. And in Jude, he's, he's saying to, to be aware, but don't just make evil the main thing you think about. In Philippians chapter 4, he speaks about thought life. And he says in Philippians 4, verse 8, he says, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There's nothing more lovely, more admirable than the love of Christ. There's nothing more lovely than Jesus giving his life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. That's admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. It's something to think about. And we give thanks for this time of year when we are, are called especially to think about the cross, but we do it throughout the year. Ponder what he has done. Ponder his love. Ponder how great his love is. Ponder what it means that Christ has demonstrated his love for us and giving his life for us. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, he prays for the people and he prays, he says, that you being rooted and established in love may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To grasp the nature of God's love, it takes some time. It, it takes spending time pondering, thinking, contemplating this love of Christ. We spend much time, as we say, thinking about all the mess in the world. We could all stand to spend a little more time thinking about the love of Christ. If your thought life were like a pie chart, what slice would be the love of God? Would it be a, a significant slice or would it be maybe just a little kind of one of those little barely slice just so you can say you got something of the pie? How big a slice is the love of God? I think for all of us, we could have a bigger slice. <laughs> we need to have a bigger slice spent on thinking about the love of God. God's love is what we keep trusting in. It says keeping God's love is, is a keep depending on his love. And don't trust in your own faith don't trust in your own wisdom don't trust in your own strength don't even don't trust in how much you love god because <laughs> our love for god is sometimes it's there and it's good sometimes it isn't what it ought to be and we don't trust in our ability to love god we trust in god's love for us because we know his love for us is solid and firm it's never changing 
We looked a few weeks ago in 1 John 4 and verse 16, he says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We rely on his love for us. We know that is firm. We know that's reliable. It's faithful. It's going to endure forever. In Psalm 13 and verse 5, he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. We trust that his love isn't going to fail even though we fail him. Even though we fail to do what we ought to do, God's love does not fail. No matter how crazy this world gets, his love is unfailing. In Psalm 52 and verse 8, he says, I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. The second part is the reason for the first part. Because he trusts in God's unfailing love, that's why he can flourish. And that's for all of us. As we trust in God's unfailing love, we flourish. We do better. We flourish in joy. We flourish in peace. We flourish in hope. When we trust in God's unfailing love. This time of year, a lot of plants, flowers getting planted. And you get something to, to get it to flourish, you get, have to plant it in good soil. Well, for our lives, for our soul to grow and to flourish, you need to be planted in something that's good. In a way, keeping in God's love, it's about where you're planted. Are you planted in his love? If you plant yourself, if you plant your soul and your life in the love of Christ, then you're going to flourish. Thinking of confirmation pictures, I, I think of ones that I confirmed over the years, and, and I think of ones who didn't keep walking with the Lord. And some of them, they're not flourishing well. But I think others who kept on, kept on trusting in Christ, kept on in his love, kept walking with him, and they're flourishing. I got to tell you, there's not one that have wandered from the Lord that I look, like, look at and say, well, they're doing pretty good. <laughs> they're doing okay. They wandered from the Lord, but they're doing fine. They might be doing fine economically. Maybe they're doing fine in terms of pocketbook. But when you really listen to their story, there's nobody they ever met who wandered from the Lord. I say, well, they took a good path. Nope. <laughs> but those who kept on with the Lord, those you look at and say, but they're flourishing. Keep on trusting in his love and keep showing mercy. We keep in God's love and we keep, even though the world around us is full of wickedness, we keep showing mercy. In Jude's day and in our day as well, there's a lot of scoffers, there's a lot of ungodliness, and, and it would be easy for the ones of Jude's day, and it would be easy in our day too, to say that world is just a mess, let's just hide in a bunker and try not to let the world get to us. But Jude's call here is to be merciful, and to be merciful to those who doubt. Merciful, it means being kind and loving to those who don't deserve it. And he speaks in these verses about those who doubt. He's talking about ones who, who maybe 
they had started to listen to some of this false teaching that was going on. They started to question. They started to wonder. And yes, those who doubt what they deserve is to be rebuked. What they deserve is to be told, what in the world are you doing? But Jude says, be merciful. It means be patient. Be forgiving. It means try to draw them back. Try to encourage them. We see Jesus being merciful to doubters. And we see it especially this time of year as we think about the resurrection. Thomas was one of the 12 disciples. And then somehow when Jesus appeared, Thomas wasn't there. And then afterwards, his fellow disciples, his friends tell him we saw the Lord. And they give him this convincing description of what happened. But Thomas still doubted. But a week later, Jesus appeared to him, and then he said to Thomas in John 20, 27, he says, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus showed mercy to this doubting Thomas. He was merciful, and he appeared to him, he encouraged him. He did that similar with all the disciples in Luke 24 and verse 38. He says he appears to the disciples, and he says to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. He could have just said, you guys, no reason you ought to be doubting. Forget you. But he appears to them. He gives them what they needed so they could stop doubting and believe. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, he says, Encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. We need patience. And we have times when we get tempted to doubt and we've needed the patience of the Lord to help us in overcoming our doubts. And so we show patience to others who doubt. I think of a guy I knew years ago, he was... Started coming, or church started coming to Bible study, but he admitted he had a lot of doubts and a lot of questions. He'd come sometimes to Bible study, and then he'd get frustrated. I remember one time he stormed out, slammed the door behind him. But I appreciated the congregation showed him mercy. They didn't say, well, I hope that guy stops coming. He's been kind of a nuisance. No, they showed him mercy. They showed him patience. They encouraged him and they helped him in overcoming his doubts and coming to faith. Be merciful to the doubters and be merciful to those in danger. He speaks in these verses about snatching ones from the fire, saving them, showing mercy mixed with fear. You might say, what's he mean? Mercy mixed with fear. The fear is that awareness that those who are apart from the Lord are in danger. Those who aren't keeping on are going down a dangerous path and we have this sense of fear about what awaits and we don't want to see them facing that at all. Jude is writing here to ones who are going astray and he's writing to ones who are leading others astray and he says, woe to them. He speaks about judgment. He's knowing this is serious business. It's not just something where some choose this path, some choose another path. It doesn't really matter. I've known ones who've wandered and 
they've wandered away from the Lord and they talk about their time as a Christian and they say, well, that was kind of a little thing I had during a period when I was young. I'm thinking, no, it's not just some youthful thing you go through. <laughs> no, it's about life or death for all eternity. It matters. And we show mercy because we know it matters. We show mercy because we don't want anybody to perish. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, he says, The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We show mercy because we don't want anybody lost. We don't want anybody to miss out on such a great salvation. In Micah chapter 7, in verse 18, he describes the Lord and he says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin? who forgives iniquity, and then he says, you do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. God delights in showing mercy. He delights in rescuing people. He delights in seeing people repent of their sins and come to faith, go from death to life. His desire is to show mercy. If you think of attorneys in a courtroom setting, there's a prosecution and there's the defense. When it comes to people and their souls, which one are you more like? It can be tempting to want to be a little bit like the prosecution. We look at the evil around us. We look at ones who are apart from the Lord and ones who are causing trouble for Christianity. And we kind of want to be the prosecution, really dropping the hammer on them. We want to be that prosecution that sees them get theirs. I think the Lord is more the defense attorney. The Lord is more the one who is delighting in showing mercy. He delights in seeing people being able to escape the penalty they deserve. He is the one who wants to defend and who wants to tell them your sin has been paid for by Christ. He took the penalty that you deserved. And so if you receive him, you're free to go. May we be a way like that defense attorney who goes and tells people you can face the judge in a whole different way when you know Jesus. We're merciful because God is merciful. God has been merciful to God. That's his nature. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He isn't quick to rain down wrath, even though we have it coming. No, his delight is in being merciful to God. And as he says here in, in Jude, we wait for the mercy of Jesus. We wait for that. We trust that God is going to be merciful. And we rejoice that he has been. We see his mercy throughout scripture. We see in the Old Testament people who are prone to wander. And time and time again, they wander. In Psalm 78, he talks about their wandering and going against the Lord. And yet he describes God. He says, yet he was merciful. He atoned for their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger. Time after time, God restrains his anger. Time after time, God is merciful. In the Old Testament book, Nehemiah, he does a similar history lesson. And in Nehemiah 9 and verse 31, he, he talks about 
how the people had wandered from God. But then he says, but in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. He's a gracious, merciful God. And so we show mercy because God has been merciful to us. Probably some Easter egg hunts coming up. And kids will be out looking for eggs, and some kids will find more eggs than other kids. And then kids will maybe compare baskets, and it will be quite tempting for the one, as is in that picture of the girl on the left, to look at the other kid, and you say, boy, he's got more eggs than I do. And you fail to notice the eggs in your own basket. <laughs> we get tempted to look in a similar way as adults, we get tempted to look at somebody else and say, boy, they've received a lot of blessings from God. I think they received a little more than I did. Let us look in our own basket. Let us look and see how merciful God has been to us. And instead of looking at the one that we think has more than us, let us look at the one who maybe doesn't seem to have as much as we do and say, boy, I'm going to show mercy to that one. What you kind of hope for is you hope for a kid instead of looking and saying that kid has more eggs than me that he notices a kid who doesn't have as many and says, I'll share some of my eggs with that one. I'll share some of my eggs with the one who doesn't have much yet. Let us be merciful because some they maybe are in need of mercy. Their basket maybe doesn't seem too full right now. And so we share of the mercy that God has given to us. He's filled our basket with mercy, and so we share with the world. God is merciful, and God is able to keep you in his care. He's writing here about deceivers, about temptations that come. But even though those things are real, we don't fear because God is able to keep you from falling. He can keep you from being deceived. He can keep you in his truth. He can, as we sang earlier, he can hold you fast. God can hold you fast. He can keep you from falling into temptation. He can keep you from falling away from him, from going down the wrong path. God's able to do that. We are, as we also sang, we're, we're prone to wander. We're prone to leave. But God is able to keep us as we start to wander. He's able to draw us back. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. We can entrust our lives to him and know that he's able to guard it. We entrust kids and grandkids into his care. And know that he's able to guard what's been entrusted to him. In John 17, Jesus prayed and he, he prays right before he goes to the cross. And, and he, he prays, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He's praying because he believes the father can do it. And if he believed the father can do it, we ought to believe it as well. He believed the Father could protect these disciples that he cared about who were going to be in this scary world. He believed that the Father could protect them from the evil one. 
we can pray that for kids and grandkids as well. Jesus, in a way, is looking at his kids and saying, Father, protect them. And we pray, Father, protect them. In Psalm 66 and verse 9, he speaks of the Lord. He says, he has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. God can keep our feet from slipping. From slipping and going down the, the wrong path. God is able to do that. Even though sometimes it gets kind of slippery. I've only been ice skating twice in my life. That's something that you wish you had learned to do when you were young. And it's not best to do it the first time with youth group when you're an adult. <laughs> you, you get out on those ice skates and you might in your pride think, oh, I can do this. <laughs> but then you go along and you realize I need to be holding on to something or someone. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to fall. When our lives at times weaken in our pride think I can just cruise through life. I don't need to hold on to God. I can make it on my own. No, you need to hold on to the Lord. Otherwise, you're going to fall. But God reaches out. He says, you can hold on to me. <laughs> How's it with you today? Are you, are you trying to make it on your own? Are you in your pride? Are you thinking, I can just make it. I don't need to hold on to God. You do. But rejoice that God is there. He's right alongside you. He says, you can hold on. It's slippery, it's dangerous, and you'll fall, but you can hold on to me, and I'll hold you up. He's able, wanting to hold on to you. And God is able to keep you from all, for all eternity. It says he's able to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Even though we've wandered, even though we've slipped at times, yet the cross wipes our sin away. And Christ is able to present us faultless before his glorious presence. Christ is able to cleanse us and make us ones who are faultless, able to stand before him. We will stand before the only God, our Savior, and we can stand before him with joy for all ages now and forevermore. Because God can keep us in his care and he keeps us in his care, not just once in a while, but now and forevermore. In Psalm 121, he says, He will not let your foot slip. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. We rejoice that God's care, it doesn't stop at the grave. It's not just for a little while, but it's for all eternity. In Psalm 12, in verse 7, he says, O Lord, you will keep us safe and protect us from such people forever. He keeps us safe forever, even though in this world there's threats and there's evil and it, there's things that are trying to trip us up. Yet we, we don't fear because God's able to care for us. God's able to care for our kids and our grandkids. And we can entrust them into his care. We at times, as we think of trusting kids and grandkids into his care, as we think of confirmation pictures and how some keep on and some wander, 
And we, at times we, we wonder, well, what makes a difference? How can we keep them? The way it starts with recognizing we can't do it on our own. What's going to keep your grandkids walking with the Lord is not your wisdom and your strength and you being a great role model. Don't put your trust in saying, well, I'm such a good grandparent, I'm sure that's going to keep them in the faith. <laughs> recognize we need the Lord, and we trust in Him, and we trust in His ability to keep them. We don't trust in their wisdom or their goodness. We don't trust in our goodness or our strength, but we trust in what God is able to do. I may have quoted before from this book, The Hammer of God, one of my favorite books of all time, a fiction book that declares great truths. And it has a section in the book where it tells about this person who's walked with the Lord for many years and he's coming toward the end of his life. And there's a young pastor who's kind of unsure of what he's doing, unsure of even his faith, but he's still trying to be a pastor and he goes to this guy and and he tells the guy, he says, well, just keep holding on to Jesus. The guy wisely he looks at him and he says, Pastor, I'm not so confident in my ability to hold on to Jesus. But I'm very confident in Jesus' ability to hold on to me. And I know he will for all eternity. And that's for us as well. We know we're prone to wander. And we know we might not always hold on the way we should. But we know the Lord is able to hold on to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are able. You're able to keep us from falling. We know left to our own resources, we would fall. But Lord, we thank you that we don't have to depend on our own resources and our own strength. But we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.